You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hi, my name is Octavio Fernandez y Mustajo. My name is Claire Perini. And we are so excited to welcome you all back to the Regent College Podcast. We are very excited to welcome you into this conversation that we had today about astrophysics, space discovery, astronomy, astronomy, the universe, theology, and how we understand all of these things and don't understand a whole lot of things about the universe. And we had... It wasn't just Octavio and I, you'll be pleased to know. Um, we were joined by Dr. Jennifer Wiseman, who is an astrophysicist, author and speaker. And she studies the process of star and planet formation in our galaxy, like using radio, optical and infrared telescopes. She's interested in national science policy and public science engagement. Jennifer directs the program of Dialogue on Science, Ethics and Religion for the American Association of the Advancement of Science. She's worked at several international observatories and is currently a senior astrophysicist at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. And she frequently gives public talks on the excitement of scientific discovery. And so we just, you can, you'll get it. Excitement is what she has and excitement is how we feel after talking with her today. Yeah, I mean, what a treat. How often do you get to talk about theology and astronomy and the stars and the creation of the universe with with somebody like 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 Dr. Jennifer Weissman. This is a it was a treat for us and it's going to be a real treat for you guys. And I mean her her area of expertise is star formation. I mean j- just by saying that is like okay, this woman is just something else, something else. We talked about things like what about our eschatological hope of new heavens and new earth? New heavens and new earth. What are you talking about? A new, a new universe, a new earth. What, what's her perspective on that? We'll talk about life on Mars. You know, getting out of here and going to Mars is that a good idea? Like, given our scatological hope of, of new heavens and new earth, and that uh, you know, new heavens and new earth and resurrection. Should we be so desperate about expanding uh, life outside the Earth? We talked about trying to find life outside of Earth, microbial or otherwise. For example, on exoplanets. What are exoplanets? If you don't know, you just got to listen in. And the question of does astronomy inform or should it inform our understanding of what, what it means to be human? So great. So, friends, we hope you enjoy our conversation as much as we did with Dr. Jennifer Wiseman. Jennifer, welcome to the Regent College Podcast. We're so glad to have a conversation with you today. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. We're, um, yeah, we're, oh, man, Octavio and I are so pumped. Great. This is we're such ex- a <laughs> Very excited. <laughs> um, so why don't we start just a little bit biographically. Um, when did you know that you wanted to be an astronomer? That didn't come until late in my, my undergraduate college years. But what I did know as a child was that I was very interested in nature, in the natural world, and in particular in space. Um, I grew up in the middle part of the U.S. in the state of Arkansas on a mm. farm. Uh, my 
parents moved out to this farm when I was about eight years old. And at first I thought it was terrible because we left all our neighbors in in a more uh, populated part of the town we lived in. And then, you know, within hours I grew to love living out on this farm and uh, really enjoyed uh, being close to nature. Uh, I love animals. I love wandering around forests and wandering in meadows and, and across streams. And, and I, so I still do love being out in the natural world. And part of that natural world was looking up at the night sky. And at that time, at least, the sky was very dark and you could see stars from horizon to horizon. Mm. So I was curious about that as well. And then around the time I was as growing up and paying attention to things in school, um, we were starting to get images from NASA probes of other planetary systems in our solar system. For the first Mm -hmm. time, we were seeing images of the moons close up of Saturn and Jupiter and these strange worlds. Some of them had icy crusts. Some of them had volcanic activity. Mm -hmm. All of them made Mm -hmm. me want to be a part of exploring these places, and I didn't know how to do that you know, whether I could be an astronaut or an engineer building these probes. I didn't know how to get involved in any of of that, but Mm. I knew I was interested in it. And also science fiction was starting to pick up around the time I was growing up. The first Star Wars movie came out, Mm. uh, other movies about black holes and other things. It just made us all very curious about the broader universe. So I think as a child, I I became interested in the natural world, which led to an interest in science. And then in particular to a curiosity about space and the universe, wanting to be a part of that, but not knowing exactly how to do that until Mm. later in my undergraduate years when I decided that physics and and particularly focusing on astronomy or astrophysics was was something that really interested me. Oh, man. And just just to... I mean, because we're going to talk about science and faith and, and you know, it's going to be amazing. But just to whet the appetite of our listeners and to start, you know, with, with what you've been studying, what do you think are some of the most interesting discoveries in astronomy in the recent years? Oh, well, that is a terrific question. Uh, astronomy is very active right now. And because the technology of telescopes and optics and techniques for doing observations have uh, become so advanced and, and changed so much in recent years, we're able to make detections and discoveries now that we would never have even dreamed of in mm-hmm. recent years before. And so some of the hot topics that are I can think of off the top of my head include uh, the whole explosion and discoveries of exoplanets. Now, an exoplanet is a planet outside of our solar system. That's where the exo comes in. Mm -hmm. So we know about the planets orbiting our own sun, our star, uh, like Earth. But we didn't know, even when I was in graduate school, we didn't know if there were actually planets orbiting other stars. We thought there, there might be, but we didn't have the technology to detect them. Planets are very small things next to very bright stars, so <laughs> they're hard to, mm. hard to detect um, with regular telescopes. But anyway, the techniques improved for kind of indirect detections of, of planets around other stars, and now... We know of thousands of these planets and planetary systems outside of our own solar system, and we're starting to learn some of the, um, the characteristics of these planets that orbit other stars. 
And some of them are very, very different from Earth or any planet in our own solar system. And some of them might be more Earth-like. We, we're just now kind of getting to the point of being able to say something more about what their compositions are and whether they could even be habitable mm. for life. So that's a very hot topic in astronomy yeah. and newer telescopes are being built to, to, to even better be able to, 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 to help us understand what's going on in these exoplanetary systems. On a much broader scale, uh, the whole field of cosmology is very uh, active right now. That's kind of looking at the universe as a whole and its mm. history and its development and its future. Mm. Now, uh, 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 it's been about, you know, about a century since we, as human beings, began to understand that our Milky Way galaxy is not the only one. Our galaxy contains hundreds of billions of stars, including our sun, and, but we know now there are other collections of stars, other galaxies that are held together by their own mutual gravity. And now we know that there are hundreds of billions of other galaxies um, mm. in the observable universe. What's and that's just the observable universe. Like that's oh, what that's, I always that's think. True. That's what I always think is such a great disclaimer in the like science, these kind of space conversations. Oh, and that's that's just in our observable universe. Observable. <laughs> well, the, the reason we have to put that little yeah. that little disclaimer there is that, um, well, for one thing, the universe is expanding. That's another yeah. thing that astronomers like Edwin Hubble helped us understand in the early early years of the twentieth century, which is that. Uh, it appears that galaxies are, are kind of moving apart from each other, but it's really that space itself is, is, is stretching apart to the point where some of the galaxies that uh, are far away from us um, are in space and time are, are now so far away from us that the light from them can never actually reach us um, mm. because uh, because they're too far away and space is expanding too fast. So we can't, we cannot observe mm. every galaxy that mm. exists. We can mm. only observe galaxies for which there's, uh, the, the light has time to get to us um, and is able to, to reach us. But the surprise in recent years is that the expansion of the universe seems to be accelerating. Now, when I was in mm. graduate school studying astronomy, there were, there were really two options for this expansion of the universe. Either it was just going to slow down forever because we, we all know or knew that gravity, which is really the only force that's active on these largest scales that's significant, um, gravity is attractive, right? So it should be slowing down this expansion as the galaxies kind of pull on each other a, a little mm. bit. Um, mm. And then the other option was that maybe there's so much matter in these galaxies and between these galaxies that that pull, it would be strong enough to reverse the expansion and pull everything back together in, in a big mm. crunch. Um, but we never even considered another option, which is something that was detected a few years ago, quite a surprise, that the expansion is not slowing down, it's speeding up. So we don't know what it is that would kind of push the universe apart in an accelerating way that the label given to this effect right now is called dark energy because we can't see it. We don't really know really what it is. So it's a hot topic of study now mm. to understand mm. what's happened over the 
the long history of the universe in this interplay between the attractive force of gravity and this repulsive dark energy that in this kind of tug of war that's ended up with a universe that is what it is now, which is a, a distribution of galaxies and a lot of unseen dark matter, um, and the galaxies, at least one of them, uh, uh, producing stars that can harbor planets and habitable habitability around on one of them. So anyway, that that's a hot topic mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so in that case, that dark force would have to be greater or more powerful than than gravity, I guess. Yeah. So so we can actually look back in time. Astronomy is a time machine, right? Everything we look at. In space, we're seeing it as it was when the light began its journey from that mm-hmm. object or that source to us or to our telescopes. So even the nearest star to us beyond the sun um, is what we call four light years away. A light year is a unit of distance. A light year is the mm-hmm. distance that light travels in one year. And so the light from the Alpha Centauri system takes about four years to get to us. So when we look at that star and that system, we're seeing as as it was four years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Even our own sun, we're, we're seeing it as it was eight minutes ago. So astronomy is a time machine, and looking at very distant stars or other galaxies, we're looking even farther back in time, right? Mm-hmm. So even the nearest big spiral galaxy like our Milky Way, the Andromeda galaxy, is two million light years away. So we're seeing it as it was two million years two ago. Million That's a close I galaxy. I just can't yeah. even, like, can't even fathom even light. like, oh man. <laughs> We're now able, and this is not, not trivial, to, to figure out how to measure accurately the distances to galaxies. How do you know exactly how distant they are? Well, you have to know precisely how bright something is in that galaxy that you can actually detect, mm-hmm. and then measure how faint it appears, and that gives you a sense of how far away that galaxy is. Well, we're seeing some galaxies now that are hundreds of millions of light years away, and some of them that are actually billions of light years away. So we're looking at them as they were a long time ago. And we're also measuring, we can measure their apparent, what we call recessional velocity, like how, how fast they appear to be moving away from us. Now, mm-hmm. it's really that space itself is stretching, and right. these galaxies are caught up in that expanding space. But nevertheless, by measuring this for these very distant galaxies, as well as the galaxies that are more intermediate uh, in their distances from us and the ones that are close to us, we can kind of map out the history of this expansion rate of the universe over time. So getting back to your, your, uh, your original comment here, Octavio, is that, is that it looks like as we look back in time by looking at these very distant galaxies, that in the early parts of the universe, the first few billion years, we think our universe is about 13.8 billion years old since, since the, 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 the explosive uh, inflation of what we call the Big Bang. Mm. During about the first few billion years, you're absolutely right. The gravitational force seems to be dominant and, and is, you know, whatever caused the, the, the initial burst of energy and the expansion of the universe seems to, seem to be slowing down by this gravitational pull of the matter in the universe. But something happened about a few billion years ago where 
there was kind of a flip where the, the, the accelerating push of dark energy seemed to have a more dominant effect than the gravitational uh, mm. pull of attraction. So for the last few billion years, it looks like that the universe's ex uh, expansion went from decelerating to accelerating. Mm. And it may be mm. that this accelerating dark energy was there all the time, but it, it only became dominant when galaxies and matter were far, en far enough apart that the gravity mm, wasn't as, yeah. as strong and that the repulsive uh, force or energy became the dominant feature. So yeah. that's a hot topic in astrophysics. And, uh, and so that just gives you a taste of the unanswered mm. questions. That, there, there, it's an interesting and, and, and delicious problem that the more you learn by building better telescopes and better technologies the more questions you have. It right. actually, it actually yeah. answers some questions but raises more. A so, whole lot more, uh, yeah. We will uh, probably never run out of intriguing puzzles to investigate. <laughs> That's why we're here. My question is, NASA is trying to discover what you were saying, uh, uh, planets that look similar to, to Earth to see if, if there can be life there, life as we know it. But I don't, I don't know, it feels like the... Main thing you're measuring is the light for for your discoveries, right? You need the light to see if there's planets over there. Are, are you are you using other types of measurements, or it's always based on on light? That is a wonderful question, and you know we have all watched lots of science fiction where it's really easy to bounce around from star system to star star system and even to other galaxies, but. The, the, the reality that we actually face right now is that to study anything out beyond our solar system right now, the only option we have is to receive information like radiation that travels to mm. us. Mm. So um, now within our own solar system, we do have and are using the capabilities of not only observing light that comes to us with telescopes, but sometimes sending probes that we build and launch to go mm. and sample uh, the environments. And so we have a probe right now orbiting Jupiter. It's called the Juno probe, and it's measuring things like uh, the, the gravitational field and magnetic field around the Jupiter system. We have had lots of visits to Mars, not with people yet, but with, uh, with different probes and satellites that are studying things on Mars. And of course, we all just watch this uh, wonderful, exciting mission called OSIRIS-REx, where the probe went to an asteroid, asteroid Bennu, and scooped up some material off the asteroid. And we'll hopefully deliver it safely. Did not know about that. That's no, amazing. I was going to say, oh, they okay. just scooped yeah. up I, I just, heard that. space I stuff. I assume that everyone is paying attention to all of these things, because I do. But, <laughs> but uh, yes, there's been a really exciting um, mission. It's, it's really hard to bring samples back to the Earth from yeah. even objects in our solar system. So we've had you know, missions that have gone... Uh, as I've just mentioned, and, and orbited other planets, taken pictures, uh, uh, taken measurements, but to actually bring samples back mm -hmm. is hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, we have from from the Apollo missions when when people actually went to the moon, we have some moon rocks and samples back, but that's very rare so far. Um, so this recent uh, uh, mission called Osiris Rex was a, a, a probe that went to an asteroid, uh, Bennu, and 
scooped up some of the, the material. Ben is a very kind of loosely held asteroid, so it could scoop up some of the gravelly material on, on the surface mm-hmm. and hopefully will bring it back to the Earth for study. I mean, this is interesting because... Oh, it's we, not here yet. Oh, okay, I thought oh, you, you got it. Oh, no, okay. no, no. It's It will take years. Uh, see, this this is what oh. yeah, like problems <laughs> is, <laughs> is that things are far apart. Yeah. So to send an actual probe or mechanical uh, 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 spacecraft uh, uh, to another body in the solar system, even if we use the most powerful rockets we have right now, it still takes years uh, to get mm-hmm. um, to the other planets. I mean, the, the, the plans to send humans, let's say, to Mars, where humans have, have not personally visited yet, but uh, right now, scope a, a travel time of almost a year. I think they're looking at something like nine months if they have a really good rocket to get there, and then you'd want to spend you know, some time there if you make that long of a trip, and then it takes you <laughs> the better part of a year to get back. So even a trip to quote-unquote nearby Mars for humans would take probably you know, something on the order of three years round trip. Mm-hmm. If we're sending probes... Uh, with or or without humans to other planets and their moons, it takes years um, because we don't we don't have the capability to launch things to travel even close to the speed of light, which gets us back to the advantage then of using telescopes. So if you if you don't really need to go to these places in person or with a physical probe, and can learn a lot from simply observing from a distance. Mm-hmm. The, the light that travels that's either um, uh, uh, emitted directly from these objects or that's reflected off of these objects can travel not infinitely past, but at the speed of, of light, and that's very fast from our perspective. So it, it, it helps us um, in that sense. So uh, space exploration is hard. It, the, the distances involved are vast, mm. and that is why uh, I'm very excited about... Um, sampling and exploring in situ mm-hmm. these solar system places. So your original question was, how do we look for, especially if we're looking for conditions of planets, um, especially trying to find out if they could be habitable or, or harbor life, are we restricted to simply remote uh, observing, receiving of light? And right now that is the case for looking at planets outside our solar system for planets inside our solar system, we do a lot of that remote observing as well. But for some of them, we are able to send probes and 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 do close-up measurements of things, and and that is quite exciting because mm-hmm. um, there could be we have we have not found. Let me be clear here: we've not found yet any life um, beyond planet Earth in our atmospheric environs. What we're looking for right now are um, is evidence for habitability. You know, we know something about what's required for life on planet Earth, and even in, in extreme places on planet Earth. Can we compare that to places on other planets um, and, and say something about whether or not life could even exist in these other environments? And also, how would we know that there's life there? Um, that's This is another whole hot topic field called astrobiology, which is 
trying to use the knowledge we have of astronomy and biology and planetary science and atmospheric physics and all those things together, chemistry, to understand conditions needed for life on Earth, what kinds of conditions could harbor life elsewhere, and how would we know that there's life if we can't actually physically go to one of these exoplanets? Mm. All we have, all we have capabilities of doing is measuring um, the atmospheric composition mm. of exoplanets and maybe discerning mm. something about the planet's temperature and its environment and how much radiation it's getting from its parent star. And putting all that information together to discern whether or not a planet could be habitable and even beyond that, whether or not there are biological processes going on. Mm. So this is, this is still a, a, a field in its infancy um, being yeah. developed as the technology improves. But you know, keep in mind, if you look back at Earth from a, from a distance, let's say from another star system and using the kinds of technologies we're developing now, you could measure the composition of our atmosphere and see that we have free oxygen um, in uh, oxygen molecules in our atmosphere. And this is evidence, it's not proof all on its own, but it's evidence of biological activity. Photosynthesis on planet Earth keeps producing oxygen. And if it stopped, that oxygen, a lot of it would combine with other elements and eventually you wouldn't see it in the atmosphere. So something is keeping keeping oxygen supplied into our atmosphere mm. and, and most likely it would, we would conclude by looking at Earth from a distance that it would be some kind of biological process like photosynthesis. So those are the kinds of things we're, we're mm. learning to look for in other systems. <clears throat> Sorry for interrupting your podcast, but Claire Perini has something really, really important that she wants to share with you. For the last number of weeks and months, you will have had a little interruption from Octavio and I with me trying to say rgnt.net forward slash give. And the reason for that is um, that we love hearing from people who are enjoying and appreciating the podcast. We love hearing that. And we love hearing that you enjoy it so much that you want to give Regent a little bit of a donation to say thanks. And so this is an invitation to continue doing that or to do that for the first time uh, to allow us to continue to keep having these really good conversations with people all over the world about all sorts of things, about the good, beautiful kingdom of God and how it plays itself out in the life of everyday Christians. So if you would like to give a donation to Regent College to say thanks for the podcast, Octavia and I would be delighted. You can do that at rgnt.net forward slash give. And please, if you'd leave a donation, uh, write in the comment box over there that the podcast sent you. Enjoy, Enjoy the, the rest, rest of, of our the conversation. conversation. So let's let's sort of think about this. Is we could like, there's just so many rabbit trails we could go down on this. It's amazing. So if we're to sort of think about some of these things that you're discovering uh, sort of theologically, how, how do you think about the possibility of other life forms or other sort of inhabitable planets? How do you think about that theologically? Does it matter theologically that there might be life on other planets? How do you think about that? Well, it turns out that this is not a new question. Um, <laughs> 
people <laughs> think it is because it's sort of the first time scientifically in human history that we've actually detected planets around other stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know they're real. We can actually start discerning something about their characteristics. So it it churns up these questions of of the possibilities of life, uh, maybe abundantly throughout the galaxy and and other galaxies too. And what does that mean for our view of of humans and the significance mm. of human life? And and from a theological perspective uh, of of God and creation, could there be life elsewhere? Is that is that a problem theologically? Well, it turns out I, I started doing a little investigation into this, and this question has been thought about for many, many centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure why, because people really didn't understand uh, even yeah. what the planets were in our own solar system, much mm-hmm. more that there were others. But the question of whether there could be life uh, beyond the realms that we're familiar with have a lot of theological implications, and especially when you get into the question of whether that life was independently created from the life on planet Earth, or, or you know, and, and by creation, yeah. I'm, I'm using that word broadly, um, that creation could be uh, through a, a process of evolution that mm-hmm. God may have used, or, mm-hmm. or, or other types of, of creative processes, but nevertheless, the question would be, if we find life elsewhere that seems to have no have had no interaction with life on planet Earth, does that mean that God created or enabled life in other places in the same way as planet Earth? Were there independent mm. creations of life or, right. or life uh, uh, beginning and evolving in different places? So that's an interesting theological question. Mm. And then, of course, there's the question from the Christian perspective of sin and redemption. Right. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the whole... Uh, the core of the the Christian faith revolves around God becoming uh, incarnate in Jesus Christ in the flesh, and in particular in human flesh on planet Earth, mm-hmm. um, and that this participation of God with the with the natural created world is central to God's love for us, and that we needed this uh, the redemptive sacrifice of 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 Jesus to to cover our sin and and so what does that mean if there's life beyond earth could it have a, a moral deficiency that needs redemption and would mm. what god has done on planet earth cover the sins of creatures elsewhere or maybe that means that there really isn't life with this kind of moral conundrum elsewhere the the, the bible is not um limited. It doesn't say much about that. There are some little mm. hints here and there. We do know, theologically speaking, from from biblical perspective, that God is not surprised by anything, that all of all of the universe or multiverse, if there is one, is is mm. is from a Christian perspective, is is part of God's creation and and is upheld um in Christ. So we don't need to be afraid of these things that that maybe God in his mercy has not let us know all at once. Um but this is a really interesting question. It is. Um and different theologians and, and have come to different conclusions about mm. that uh, over the years uh and probably will continue to. Mhm. Mm. I have another question. As I was I was listening to a bunch of of your lectures and watching uh, a bunch of videos and and 
as you would explain and other astrophysicists would explain what it like what it took for life on earth to begin and then to get to us to humans you know the millions of years that took for us mm. to, to 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 be what we are i mean god and in and, and that would make us so but so crazy special because you haven't found any anything like like it in in other places and my question was uh does astrophysicists or like the astronomy inform our understanding of what it means to be human in, in that sense of because it, it left me that that sensation of of man we don't we have no idea how special we are as creatures as humans what it took for us to be here so so that, that was kind of the first impression uh, for me about, about thinking about how that informs our understanding of what humanity is but i, I don't know if, if if you would you would uh agree and then it would be like thinking you know i mean if you if you go from the ego anthropocentric vision of yeah we're the pinnacle of creation yeah we're humans we were it we were the ethos we were the destination of whatever uh, what do you think about those thoughts? <laughs> those are big thoughts. And, and so, uh, again, let me reiterate that I'm in this podcast, I'm sharing my own personal perspectives, uh, but there's lots of room for other perspectives, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's kind of a push-pull on these ways of looking at, at the significance of human life. Um, one is that as we're learning more about the universe, and learning how many stars there are. Even in our own Milky Way galaxy, there are hundreds of billions of stars. And now we know there are hundreds of billions of, of other galaxies as well, as, as, we've, as we've discussed in the observable universe and, and more beyond. Um, it can make us feel very insignificant and, and small. Um, even the, the psalmist uh, in the Bible said, you know, when, when he looks at the moon and the stars... Um, what is, what are mortals that you are mindful of us, human beings that mm-hmm. you care for us? Um, and so even more so now, as we learn more about the, the universe and its long time history too, it can make us feel very insignificant in space and in mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And indeed, most of these planets that we're finding so far in the study of exoplanets would really not be what we would call habitable worlds. So, so we don't know yet if Earth is truly, really unique in its ability to mm-hmm. harbor advanced complex life um, or not. But we know that uh, most places would, would, would be inhospitable to the kinds of life that we are experiencing right now. So that can make us feel indeed insignificant, just as the biblical psalmist did, not even knowing what we know about other galaxies and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the psalmist goes on to say, um, you know, and yet, you know, and I don't have my scriptures in front of me right now, but he says something on the order of, and yet, you know, you have made us uh, just a little lower than, than yourself or the angels mm-hmm. and have given mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. dominion over uh, all things, all creatures, mm, and and, mm. and and so this psalmist obviously realized that we didn't have hands-on dominion over the the moon and the stars, but I think the kind of dominion that I interpret that is 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 knowledge that God has given us the ability to contemplate um, creation, and that is significant. So 
our significance does not necessarily have to hinge on whether we are unique, whether mm. we are in the center of the universe. Of course, now we know we're not because there is no center. We're not even in the center of the galaxy. We're not even in the center of the solar system. <laughs> so, so we're not significant in terms of our position. We're not significant in terms of our lifespans. Mm -hmm. And the scripture says many times, you know, in, in a kind of uh, dis depressing way sometimes that our lives are like the grass of the yeah. field, you know, that, yeah. that flourishes and then it's gone. Mm -hmm. Or a vapor. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that we are not significant in other ways. And, mm. and so scripture kind of redirects our focus, I think, to significance in the ways God gives us significance. God mm. enables us to, to, in, to have life, and not only that, to have the conversations we're having right now to have some some understanding to be i think science fits into this this gift of exploration wisdom knowledge understanding um that gives us a, a sign of significance from that perspective and then of course the, the 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 full good news of the gospel is that we are significantly loved by a personal god who wants us mm -hmm. to be in relationship with God forever, so so there there's that significance of love. Um, so significance is a philosophical question. Um, mm -hmm. Now a lot of <clears throat> a lot of Christians strive very hard to connect what we're studying and finding out in the universe with, I think what you were getting at in, in your comments, Octavia, that that uh, that it's so unlikely that we would be here, that that must, must show uh, a, a, some kind of significance um, uh, of miraculous proportions for, for us mm -hmm. to be here. That, uh, and I have, uh, you know, I have kind of mixed feelings about this approach because it is certainly true that, as I've mentioned, we're finding thousands upon thousands of exoplanetary systems, and most of these exoplanets seem inhospitable to life. So we are very fortunate indeed to be on a planet that is at just the right distance from its parent star, um, that happens to be in a relatively safe section of the galaxy so that we can have long-term sustained advanced life. Um, and that is truly uh, unusual in some sense. We don't know exactly how unusual yet because we need to do more observations mm -hmm. instead. But on the other hand, um, I don't personally pin significance on being unusual because what if, in fact, God has made the whole universe to be robust for life, fruitful, that life mm -hmm. is is flourishing on many, many planets around many, many stars and many, many galaxies, um, so that we're not unusual, would that make uh, God any less, and would that make us any less loved? No, I actually think it would, it would glorify God, and, and, and that uh, I could imagine God can't wait till we find out uh, some of these, <laughs> these interesting uh, mysteries and, yeah. and creatures that God's known about for, for a long, long time, mm -hmm. and, and that, um, you know, we'll get to, 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 to know more someday. So to me, I find the discovery and the investigations to find out whether life exists elsewhere and how common it is to be very exciting, rewarding, intriguing. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And whatever we find, 
or don't find uh, will fit in to a wonderful view of God's creation, and we don't mm-hmm. need to try to make our faith fit into a science that says that life is rare and unusual, or the other way around, we don't need to make mm-hmm. it fit into a to a science that says that life is 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 mundane and and inevitable. So, so mm-hmm. I, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's just confusing the issue, but I, I like to keep mm-hmm. open doors for these ways of yeah, thinking. Yeah, like it. Yeah, sobering. Yeah, great, wise. Thank you. Yeah, and so then, um, you you sound like you're you're you you have. Yeah, as you're saying, like lots of space and lots of room for this to be an exciting kind of process, this process of discovery. But have you ever had a faith crisis around uh, around sort of as you've discovered things and thinking about things? Has it ever um, been troubling to you in any way or, yeah, has it caused a crisis of faith for you in any way? Yeah, that's a, a good question. I think <clears throat> um, a lot of people... Uh, have stories of crisis regarding science if they've grown up <clears throat> with a with a faith perspective that had a very particular view of how God created yeah. the universe and on what time scale. <clears throat> and then when they start studying scientific topics more deeply, they realize that there's a lot of evidence that it took a long time for life to get to the point where we experience it today. Mm-hmm. Um, that that the Earth has been around for billions of years, and life, interestingly, has been a part of Earth for most of Earth's history. It's just been very simple life. So life seems to have started early on, but it didn't start uh, uh, transitioning into this huge array of very advanced life until quite late in the fraction of Earth's history. But it did take time, and then it's taken time for for advanced life, including humans, to become what we are today. Mm. How do we fit that into a scriptural view of creation? And and then, of course, if you add on the history of the universe and the vast size and scale of the universe and how the universe itself has developed over time from, from an inflation-dominated burst of energy about 13.8 billion years ago to to the the development of of molecules and gas and stars and planets and inhabiting galaxies over billions of years of time. How do we fit that in uh, to an understanding of of biblical creation? So I think for some people this creates a very difficult struggle. Do I have to choose one way or the other? Is one biblically sound and the other a a, a more atheistic view or... Mm -hmm. Or can I adopt the scientific view, but do I have to reduce my trust in Scripture if I do that? And that's a terrible crisis to be in. I don't think it's actually necessary. Um, I didn't face it quite so strongly. I did grow up in a Christian home and had a pretty, uh, what I would call, kind of simplistic but straightforward understanding of of creation from studying Scripture growing up, because I really didn't need to have any other view of it Mm, until I studied science more deeply, but I think I was given um, by my pastors and religious teachers a sense of humility about Scripture that even though we read it and understand it in a certain way, we need to leave room that God hasn't told us all the details in Scripture and that God actually blesses us to use our minds and our investigations to 
to get into some of the details. So even though I think I was taught growing up a more literal view of, let's say, the, the creation accounts in Genesis of the days of creation, I was also mm-hmm. given a sense that we should be humble, that maybe God hasn't given us all the, the scientific details in Scripture. That wasn't the point of those mm-hmm. Scriptures. And that left the door open for me to embrace some of these richer views of, of scientific knowledge of the time scale and the complexities of of life and creation and i appreciate that so so today i don't feel mm. a strong sense of conflict between mm. what god is trying to teach us in scripture which i take as the word of god and what god is enabling us to learn through science which is amazing now you asked me if, if i've ever experienced a kind of crisis it, it wasn't for me that kind of uh any struggle with yeah while the universe might be old and might have taken time to develop, my own uh, struggles have been more with um, trying to understand the veracity of Scripture and, and, and understanding um, the, 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 how much trustworthiness I can put in the, 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 the different Scriptures where they come from. I think I've grown in my understanding and my appreciation of Scripture over the years. Mm. And I think that I have also struggled with the same thing that almost everyone on the planet struggles with, which is why the suffering, you know, uh, why mm. if, if, if God, as I believe God has done, has enabled creation to develop according to wonderful mechanisms that God has enabled through the forces behind creation, but those mechanisms enable uh, processes both in, in, in the evolutionary processes of life and in yeah. just strictly planetary processes like plate tectonics that <laughs> enable just quite naturally things like earthquakes and, and, and things that cause great pain and suffering. Yeah. Uh, why would you do that? And, and I and I, I'm a I'm a great lover of animals, and and when I see even creatures, animals, other creatures that are not humans, um, suffering from just the, the way of life on this planet, and and especially from the things humans do to them and to their environment and their well being, um, I I have to ask, you know. Why would you allow this? You know, mm-hmm. dear God, I don't understand this. Uh, um, I know your creation is good, but it seems like part of your good creation, even parts of it that you seem to to say is okay, seem harmful to me, and it, and it hurts me to see this kind of pain and suffering. So I have a lot of unanswered questions in that realm that I struggle with in, in an ongoing mm-hmm. way. But I think that's healthy. We should all, I think, have mm-hmm. ongoing questions and struggles if we have a living and real faith as we compare what we see in the world around us to what we uh, know and hope is good in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, because we're starting to run out of time, and I really want to ask you this question. It's the question of uh, if you're as excited as Elon Musk to get a human colony on Mars, because he's like... An avid, an avid advocate of the idea of extraterrestrial human colony and how that should be the goal of humanity. If you know life on Earth starts to get bleaker and bleaker, we need some, some, somewhere else to go. And, <laughs> and, and my question for that is in light of our scatological hope of resurrection and new heavens and new Earth. 
So, so how do you handle those? Are you as excited or not? Of course, uh, Elon Musk is not a Christian, so most likely his scatological hope is just not that. So, <laughs> I don't think I have a definitive opinion on this. I, I, I uh, I'm curious about the universe. I think uh, explore exploration is is good. Um, I think exploitation is bad and. You know, we already have more than enough evidence on our own planet of yeah. of humans from uh, from one continent or region going to another continent or region, and if there's any sense of, of dominance, um, then there there there's often exploitation, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes it's even not meant in ill. Sometimes well-meaning people go from one environment to another and just assume that what their assumptions were of the life that they came from would certainly be much better than what they're finding in this new environment. So let's impose it on this new environment. And, and, you know, we, we've seen harm from that uh, in how our environment has been treated around planet earth, how people groups have been treated by other people groups and cultures around this planet and it's still it's still going on um so you know i I guess the the um the negative reaction i have is you know why would we want to keep perpetuating that by going to other (laughs) planets and things and, and creating colonies and kind of expanding if if it's really just going to be exploitive and so forth the more positive way of looking at this is you know could we could we think about uh, building colonies and in, in, in habit- habitable places beyond planet Earth that are healthy and sustain- self-sustaining. Um, and will we need to do that uh, to provide an alternative to planet Earth? Um, mm-hmm. um, I think it's possible to create colonies on other places beyond Earth that are self-sustaining, it would be hard. I mean, planet Earth is is a wonderful place. We have sunlight. We have a nice, comfortable atmosphere. We have water. We have liquid water. We have uh, places to grow food. You have to kind of create artificial environments if you go someplace Mm -hmm. else to sustain that. So it it wouldn't be easy. Um, But uh, And also, I I, I have some concerns that uh, it would be the dominant cultures on planet Earth that would set the the agenda for these yep. uh, um, these <laughs> yeah. civilizations that get planted elsewhere is that really yeah. fair? Um, so, so yeah. there's some philosophical, ethical questions. Right. Uh, but I'm that not, is so interesting. Yeah. I didn't think about that at all. I, I'm not, That's you know, I, I, in some sense, I'm not not against it uh, on its own right. But I do think, um, in addition to dreaming about living in other places off of this planet we really, really, really need to reverse some of the damage that we're doing on this planet mm-hmm. um, because most people won't have the option to go live someplace else. And why would you mm-hmm. want to? We have a beautiful planet here that's perfectly habitable for life. We just need to be more conscious of of caring for the habitability of this planet, not only for the sake of human life, but for the sake of all the other creatures that God cares about on this planet and their lives, I mean, like it or not, humans do have dominion over this planet, for good or for ill. We can simply see it from the effects of, of our yeah. lives, and that affects the well-being of other creatures as well um, that I believe God cares about. And mm-hmm. so I, I think, uh, I'm not answering your question directly, because I think I have mixed feelings about yeah. 
focusing mm-hmm. too much on building civilizations and colonies elsewhere. I'm not against it. It's kind of exciting. In fact, I, I could think of some people I'd like to sign up for that program, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, including maybe myself. But, not <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but anyway, it would be exciting. I always think it's a good challenge for humans to think of ways yeah. of building uh, sustainable and, and healthy, using the lessons we've learned, good and ill, uh, for for building a sustained life, even maybe on a space station. I mean, we have a space station now, but even on a longer term space station. Um, but also think about, you know, what can we do on our what we call yeah. spaceship Earth um, to take better care of it. Um, you yeah. know, it, it, the, the scriptures say. You know, some Christ- Christians think, well, you know, the Earth is going to pot anyway. So why should I care about this planet when God's going to come and create a new heavens and a new Earth? So. What the heck? You know, there's nothing we can do. It's going, it's going to go sour anyway. So let's just wait for God to come and fix things. Um, that's not really a biblical perspective. Uh, the, the biblical perspective says, "Make straight the ways of the Lord." And in in Christ Himself prays, "Lord, let Your will be done here on earth, like it is in heaven." And so we're supposed to be going ahead and and caring for this place um, in preparation for Christ's return, and it may be a long time, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are we doing to make this place a better place with God's help um, uh, if it may be a long time before the Lord comes and joins us here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking, speaking of that sort of that long time and that eschatological hope of a new heavens and a new earth, how do you understand that? I've, that's, it's, is it a new universe? How do you how do you understand that kind of that promise of of a new heaven and a new earth? I have no idea. So you're going to have to have a, a theologian come on here and, and and then make sure that I get to listen to that interview because I would I would really like to know. Um, I, I I think uh, the the idea of you know everything that we've seen or observed in the universe just simply dissolving and being replaced mm. is is mm-hmm. is an idea that some people have had but it doesn't seem to quite jive with mm. with a deeper understanding of scripture it seems to be more of a of some kind of a transformation that comes about with with the with the the the, the closer presence in some sense of of Christ um and I don't know what that means. So, so I really don't know what the answer to your question mm-hmm. yeah. is. Yeah. I just know that this, this makes a difference for um, whatever it is going to be. It makes a difference for our hope for the future. Yeah. Because if you simply look in astronomical terms at the long-term future of the universe, it's kind of bleak. I mean, the universe right. is expanding, as we've already discussed. That expansion seems to be accelerating uh, eventually, all the material in galaxies will be used up in star formation, and those stars will shine as stars, but eventually stars burn out. Um, so things eventually get dark and quiet and 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 cold. And so, uh, you know, in that sense, and I'm talking about trillions of years into the future. So, so <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. so, so as we're looking at... The, <laughs> None of us really very, need to worry just for our own long, lifetimes. I mean, we, we have things... <laughs> We we need to think about a little a little closer in time, like our own sun won't last forever and things like that. But but when you think just just projecting from what we know astronomically, 
um, the universe won't last forever. Uh, now, there may be things we don't quite understand. This is beyond my understanding of, of different universes interacting with one another. And so, so there may be, you know, uh, bursts of new universes that begin. And, and so it's, it, there may be cycles of universes and things. But at least the universe as we experience it is not an eternal thing. And the future looks a little bleak. And in fact... Uh, there have been thoughts that, you know, everything that we've experienced on Earth and even written about and recorded and, and, and shared, uh, memories, history, all of that will simply be lost. So it mm-hmm. makes for a meaningless, a sense of meaningless existence. Um, mm-hmm. But that's where the bright hope of the gospel comes in. We don't really know what is meant by this new heavens and this new Earth, but we know that in... in according to the revelations that we have, that God is very real, God is very personal, and in God's memory, nothing is lost, nothing is forgotten, no mm-hmm. one. Um, and, and, and life, uh, there's, there's a resurrection of life, and there's life eternal. And so we don't really know how to fit that in with kind of the, the physical measurements that we're doing scientifically right now, but but these kinds of 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 hints and revelations we've been given through scripture i think give us hope that god has something in mind um that is far better than anything we can quite imagine mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and my last question what would you like to see in the astronomy or astrophysics field before you leave this earth or in the next 100 years <laughs> What what would be a like? Oh, I would dream for this. Yeah, like, you're this containing it to like a hundred. This happens, years, not like trillions of years. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, just a yeah. hundred. Like, <laughs> this would be the best thing that could ever happen. What what, what would that be? Well, I think um, what I would love to see happen, which won't happen, but but is I, I would love to be <laughs> able to to bounce around and travel personally to other galaxies and things and just check them mm. out. But uh, given yeah, that I totally. can't, uh, <laughs> we don't have a, a kind of transporter mechanism right now. Um, I think it would be really interesting if we find even just microbial life uh, somewhere beyond planet earth that didn't come from planet earth. Um, I just think that that would show, in my mind, this would this would show that uh, God's creation is 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 um, robust for life in lots of places, and and I don't think that's a threat to our faith. I think it actually enriches our understanding of God's creation. So. So I think that would be really cool. Now, whether that's mm-hmm. by finding microbes in the in the water of the moon Europa that that's orbiting Jupiter, or whether that's finding microbial life uh, on some other moon or planet in our solar system, or finding mm-hmm. evidence of of some kind of biological activity on planets outside our solar system by by observing the the compositions of the atmospheres of these exoplanets, um, I think that would be really exciting and and i would uh, enjoy uh, learning about that mm-hmm. now we're also learning some very interesting things through other means now than just what we might call light or electromagnetic radiation i don't know if you've heard the term gravitational waves 
Uh, but uh, mm. it's just been within the last few years that we've started detecting another way that information is passed through the universe, which is not radiation, not light, not even mm-hmm. uh, that's that's not just even funny kinds of light we look at. We look at not only visible light, but with telescopes, we see infrared light and ultraviolet light and x-rays. But there's a whole different way of transmitting information across space-time called gravitational waves. That when you have accelerations of massive things in space, like let's say two black holes merging together, it can create a disturbance mm-hmm. in space-time that's very significant, and it travels across space-time. And we now have detectors on the ground on planet Earth that can detect these disturbances and even point telescopes back in the direction that we think that these disturbances mm. came from and try to find out mm-hmm. what caused it. So um, so we are detecting gravitational waves. I think more of that will happen. Um, and I think just that the, the better we can build telescopes and detectors to discern what's going on in the broader universe in many, from many different points of view or, or facets of understanding, the richer our lives become... And I would like to see a continuing growth of, of unity around the planet, of excitement about space exploration. I, I think one of the things that's most gratifying to me about astronomy and space exploration is that it gets people from all over the world excited right. about yeah. the fact that we have a united quest for discovering, understanding, that we're all fellow citizens of one little planet, planet Earth, yeah. And that together, using our passion and our ingenuity and our resources, we can investigate an amazing universe and be inspired by that. And hopefully by kind of looking up together, um, we, start, we, we, we stop looking you know, critically at each other and, yeah. and, and, yeah. and, and start fighting and, and mm. hoarding our resources and, and creating dissensions and factions, but instead we kind of get excited about what we can do together if we combine mm-hmm. our passions and, and our young, get our young people uh, headed in directions of, of using our knowledge for exploration and discovery that blesses all people. Um, that, that makes me excited. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jennifer, this has been... <laughs> You did not disappoint us. We were very excited. The expectations were very high. And let's just say that's, yeah, you've exceeded our expectations of a, just a fascinating and mind-blowing and um, and grounded and thoughtful, deeply theological, hopeful conversation. So we're so grateful that there are people like you in the universe, <laughs> but also on planet Earth, that, well. um, that, you know, have got brains that can think well about these things and not just sort of not just kind of in the field of, of science and astronomy and explore, space exploration, but then also to sort of think about how we think about that theologically. It's just, it's such a gift. So we're so, so grateful for the life that you've invested in this and where I'm going to keep looking and I'm going to pay more attention to what goes on, you know, now that I, next time we chat, I'll say, I had heard about that scoop of dust, you know, <laughs> off the... <laughs> Of the asteroid or whatever. Yes, right. <laughs> but thank you so much for your time. We really, Good. really appreciate uh, it. Claire and Octavia, yes. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Regent College podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit rgnt.net. That is R-G-N-T dot net.